Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast with the headlines of the day from our correspondents from around the world. I'm Zhu Tianlu. Coming up, Libyan officials say the death toll of the catastrophic floods in the country's east has risen above 6,000. Meanwhile, foreign aid begins to trickle into Morocco nearly a week after a strong earthquake. Ukraine has attacked Russia's Black Sea fleet and the shipyard in Crimea. Trials have begun in Brazil for rioters who supported former President Jair Bolsonaro and stormed the capital. We begin in Africa. The health ministry in the Libyan capital Tripoli says the number of people killed by the catastrophic floods that hit eastern Libya earlier this week has risen to over 6,000. Residents of the hardest-hit city of Derna have been desperately searching for their missing relatives. The mayor of Derna says up to 20,000 may have died in the port city. Rescue teams have arrived from countries including Egypt, Tunisia, and Qatar. However, their efforts have been complicated. By Libya's political instability, we get more from Paul Hawkins. Derna, or what's left of it, bodies recovered, but nowhere for them to go. No dignity for the dead. Buildings, roads, and cars destroyed in the nights by the wall of water. Some areas received instructions to evacuate, but some people didn't respond. They took matters lightly. Mustafa lives in a city. Then we heard that the dam had burst and the water had flooded the area. People were asleep, but no one was ready. But this is what happened. What can we do? For me, my house is in the next valley, opposite the Al Sahaba Mosque. The whole family lives next to each other. We're all neighbors. We lost 30 people so far. 30 members of the same family. We haven't found anyone. It was too much for the two dams on the Wadi Derna River, which flows through the city and out to sea. The floodwaters tearing through the city of 90,000 people. International search and rescue teams are arriving from Algeria, from Egypt, while the Palestinians are also sending teams. The government and the competent authorities are working to adopt a unified work mechanism to grant landing permits for aviation and aid in a gradual manner to ensure coordination and real benefit from any support. The government has begun coordination with international organisations, and we are successively identifying needs. But the minister is speaking for Libya's government of national unity, based in Tripoli, one of two which is running part of the country. The other, which isn't officially recognised by the international community, is based in Benghazi in the east, near Derna. The two governments have shown some cooperation with aid planes leaving Tripoli for the east. A chaotic, unstable, unsafe situation in the country makes the humanitarian effort even more complicated. But not the country's vast oil and gas reserves, which appear to be secured despite the flooding, unlike Libya's crumbling infrastructure. Last year, a Libyan hydrologist, Abdelwaniz Ar Ashour, warned repeated flooding was a threat to Derna. If a huge flood happens, he wrote, the result will be catastrophic for the people of the wadi in the city. The warning was ignored, and now the people are paying the price. That was Paul Hawkins on the flooding in Libya. Thousands of kilometers away in Morocco, around-the-clock digging continues in areas affected by last week's deadly earthquake. Bulldozers and responders are sifting through the rubble, but hopes of finding anyone else alive are fading as the death toll remains above 2,900. Giles Gibson reports from Marrakesh. 
Here in Marrakesh, we've had some minor aftershocks after the massive earthquake that struck this country, but otherwise the city is now starting to return to normal. It's a very different story in some of the remote villages perched up in the high Atlas Mountains, though, that were much closer to the epicenter of this earthquake. We've had a team that's been making its way through some of those villages over the course of the day. They've told me that the roads are now functioning better than they were before. Of course, many of them were blocked by landslides in the immediate days after the earthquake. Perhaps as a result, medical supplies are now starting to flow through to more and more communities up there in the mountains. Although some are still not receiving very much aid at all, I'm told that's because those are the places that are only accessible by helicopter, so helicopters are having to rotate through the different villages. Now, the Prime Minister of Morocco earlier in the week uh, said that pr the priority uh, was still the search and rescue operation, but now that we're moving out of the, or we've moved out of the 72-hour window that search and rescue teams see as crucial in terms of their chances of finding survivors, the focus is now shifting to the next few weeks and even the next few months. Uh, the government has said it's going to assess the numbers of houses that have been destroyed and there has been a promise without many details to rebuild those houses in the longer term. But in the medium term, the focus is going to be building some sort of temporary shelters for people who's lo who've lost their homes in villages up in the mountains and who are now facing an autumn and a winter without potentially a roof over their head. That was Giles Gibson in Marrakesh. Now moving on to Europe. Russia's defense ministry says Ukraine attacked its Black Sea fleet and the shipyard in the Crimean city of Sevastopol. The ministry said it had repelled some of the 10 cruise missiles Ukraine launched on the fleet and destroyed the three uncrewed speedboats. Moscow added that two Russian vessels damaged in the attack will be restored and returned to service. Ukrainian media said the damaged vessels, the Minsk, a large landing ship, and the attack submarine Rostov-on-Don were likely beyond repair. Dasha Chinyshova has more from Moscow. Well, the Russian Ministry of Defense has confirmed that Ukraine has carried out an attack with 10 cruise missiles against the Sergorjenkizhi ship repair plant in Sevastopol, as well as three unmanned sea drones at Russia's ships in the Black Sea. Now, according to the Russian officials, seven missiles were shot down by the Russian air defense systems, and all of the unmanned speedboats were destroyed. But as a result of the attack by the Ukrainian cruise missiles, the Russian Ministry of Defense, that two ships that were under ago and repairs were damaged. Now, the scale of the attack is hard to be understood clearly, uh, but at the same time, we have heard from the local officials that 24 people have been injured. So certainly it is not the first and not the last apparently attack against the Crimea. Dasha Chinyshova reporting in Moscow. In South America, Eight months after die-hard supporters of former Brazilian President Jair Bolsonaro rioted through federal buildings in the capital, Brasilia, the first of nearly 1,400 people accused of taking part are being brought to justice before the Supreme Court. Our correspondent Paulo Cabral has this report. The four men who went on trial Wednesday are accused of crimes including armed conspiracy, violent disruption of the democratic rule of law, damage to public property and attempted coup. Each face a total of up to 30 years in prison. 
The justices will, however, consider the facts related to each defendant individually to assess their level of involvement and criminal accountability for the events of January 8th. On that day, a large crowd ransacked the three main seats of power of the Brazilian Republic in the country's capital, Brasilia, the Congress building, the headquarters of the Federal Supreme Court, and the presidential palace. They were supporters of former President Jair Bolsonaro and were rioting against the election of President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, which they claimed was fraudulent, and demanding a military intervention to overturn the elected government. The buildings sustained significant damage, including the destruction of many works of art and historical artifacts that were in them. Justice Alexandre de Moraes is the case rapporteur, with the task of delivering to his peers a report on each individual inquiry prepared by the Federal Prosecutor's Office, which will then be voted on by the other justices, after prosecution and defense have their opportunities to present their cases. This inquiry analyzes all the actions of these coup plotters, all the actions of these individuals who, as will be demonstrated throughout the vote, conspired against the democratic rule of law, conspired against the democratically elected government, conspired against this federal Supreme Court. The four defendants are just the first of nearly 1,400 people facing charges related to the January 8th attacks. There has been some discussion as to whether the country's highest court should be judging these individuals as criminal cases normally begin in lower courts. The justices, however, maintain that since the Supreme Court itself was attacked and the crimes were committed against the rule of law, they have such responsibility. That was Paolo Cabral reporting on trials over pro-Bolsonaro riots. In North America, tech tycoons including Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg have met lawmakers behind closed doors to share their plans for artificial intelligence, which some fear could destroy humanity. Europe is developing its own rules for AI and the US is under pressure to follow suit. Owen Faircloth has more. They're some of Silicon Valley's biggest names, but getting them into the same room is rare. And yet they're doing just that this Wednesday, assembled on Capitol Hill to effectively teach lawmakers about artificial intelligence. Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, Sundar Pichai, who runs Google's parent company Alphabet, and perhaps most importantly of all, the founder of ChatGPT, all attending the Senate's inaugural AI Insight Forum. And it's arguably chat GPT that allows conversations between humans and computers that has demonstrated to the wider public, as well as lawmakers, the limitless possibilities and threats posed by AI. So this bipartisan forum is a way to try and work out how to regulate AI, though neither the general public nor the media have been allowed to attend. But relations between lawmakers and tech have often been checkered Consider the grilling Meta founder Mark Zuckerberg received from Congress about how Facebook, as it was then known, became a vehicle for misinformation. And just a few blocks from Congress, Google is battling the Justice Department in court over allegations it spent years abusing its dominance of the search engine market. But lawmakers nevertheless need to consider how to regulate this revolutionary technology that has profound implications for just about every facet of daily life, as well as national security. But perhaps the ultimate test for some of these tech titans who've often pushed back on Congress's attempts to regulate them is how much regulation they're willing to accept. That was Owen Faircloth reporting.
Finally, in Asia, China and Venezuela have signed 18 cooperation agreements in fields including trade and tourism. It came during Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro's visit to China, where he held talks with Chinese President Xi Jinping. The two leaders agreed to upgrade their relations to an all-weather strategic partnership. Caracas is also hoping to join BRICS, which recently admitted its first new group of members. Maduro's visit has also been closely watched back home. Stephen Gibbs reports from Caracas. This is the Venezuelan leader's 11th visit to China, but one he and his hosts are describing as especially important. Last week, the Chinese foreign ministry spokesperson said the relationship between the two countries was rock solid and on the brink of a new era. On his arrival in China last week, in a downpour in Shenzhen city, the Venezuelan leader was equally upbeat. It will soon be raining good news, he told his followers on TikTok. Venezuela has the world's largest proven reserves, yet its production is at near-historic lows, owing to a combination of factors, including years of mismanagement and recent U.S. sanctions. The Venezuelan delegation is understood to be looking at possible joint ventures with Chinese petroleum firms, as well as seeking opportunities to trade without using the U.S. dollar. It is a visit that is well-timed, a visit that is scheduled to obtain the support of the Chinese government for Venezuela's development plans. That is the fundamental mission. At a time when Nicolás Maduro is going through an economic crisis that continues to be very big in the country, even if not on the scale of two years ago, and also faces international sanctions, which weigh heavily on the functioning of the economy. Of course, the hand of geopolitics is behind all these negotiations. But that doesn't necessarily bother ordinary Venezuelans. They just want their lives improved, however that's achieved. That's what we found on the streets of Caracas this week. If he's going to find something that will benefit our country, then I applaud that, said this woman. This country needs resources of all types, said this man. All countries need financial resources, human resources, societal resources, he said. Meanwhile, Venezuelan TV has continued with its extensive coverage of this visit. That was Stephen Gibbs on reactions from Venezuela on President Nicolas Maduro's visit to China. Before we go, the headlines again. Libyan officials say the death toll of the catastrophic floods in the country's east has risen above 6,000. Meanwhile, foreign aid begins to trickle into Morocco nearly a week after a strong earthquake. Ukraine has attacked Russia's Black Sea fleet and a shipyard in Crimea. Trials have begun in Brazil for rioters who supported former President Jair Bolsonaro and stormed federal buildings in the capital. That's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Zhu Tianlu. Thank you for listening.